Welcome to the Sticks and Stones podcast, bringing you interviews with people from across the globe who are changing the face of sexual health for the better. This is the place to hear about new approaches and initiatives in sexual health, best practice, challenges, and to meet some of the people who are driving change from around the world. My name is Nick Mallon, and I administer the SDI International Exchange, or Sticks. I hope you enjoy today's conversation, and please subscribe to receive future episodes. So on today's podcast, I'm delighted to bring an interview with Jen Hecht from Building Healthy Online Communities in the US. As you'll see, Jen is somebody who's really driving change in the world of sexual health and STI testing with remote testing and general good behavior and respect around dating websites. It should be an inspirational episode and I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Jen. Hi, Nick. How are you? I'm good. It's nice to speak with you. Likewise, really great to to connect again and very excited about um, speaking to you, Jen, about building healthy online communities in your activity. Do you just want to quickly summarize where you work and the activities that you're working on? Sure. Happy to do that. I Actually, I think the best way to think of it is I think I'm wearing about three hats these days. One of them is Building Healthy Online Communities, and that is a group that I co-founded in 2014. And it's a group of a number of different public health organizations, both government and nonprofit organizations that have been working in partnership with dating apps to really think about how we can engage apps around sexual health. A lot of that is really focused on sustainable changes and features on the apps. For example, creating situations that make it easy for an app user to say, I'm on prep, or I'm looking for someone who's on prep, for example. But we've done a lot of different projects with the dating apps. So that's one of my hats, is really thinking about how to engage dating apps around sexual health. A second hat, which is under the BHOC umbrella, is Take Me Home, which is our home testing platform. I'm sure we'll be discussing that a bit more. But um, really, based in the U.S. here, we have created a model that allows for state and local health departments to kind of buy in or participate to create eligibility for people in their areas to access free home testing. And we partner with the apps to promote that. Um, The third hat I've been wearing these days, I have just started as the executive director of a brand new organization called Springboard Health Lab, which I'm very excited about. There's an opportunity through that to incubate ideas, to advance health equity and really think about um, supporting ideas and supporting organizations to grow and not really to be a permanent home for them, but to really just help them get to that next stage of development. Thank you so much, Jen. And all of that, you're based in San Francisco and all of that is down in California, is it? All of it. Yes. Yes. Great. How did you get into sexual health? Perhaps like many, I'm not sure. I grew up very interested in healthcare, kind of always thought that I would go to medical school. And as I was going through college and completing my pre-med classes, I started, first of all, recognizing that the fact that I'm a bit squeamish and somewhat terrified of blood might not make me the perfect candidate to become a doctor, but also really becoming aware of other issues that I cared about deeply, um, really thinking about social justice and thinking about 
policy change and thinking about changes at, you know, sort of a structural level. And when I got exposed to my first public health class, I realized, oh, this is the perfect place for me because it really combines these two interests, really being able to care about you know, thinking about healthcare, but also thinking kind of on, on a bigger scale and thinking about how improving healthcare for a great many people was important to me. So I felt very lucky that relatively early on in my schooling, I had that introduction. And then I just kind of have been able to continue pursuing this work uh, really since I finished college. I worked in a pre prenatal healthcare clinic. I worked in a needle exchange and did um, street outreach with youth around HIV. And then I've gotten the opportunity to work in um, program design, program evaluation, um, and just continued to feel very passionate about working in this area of sexual health and substance use. One thing I will say is that no, I never imagined doing anything in the technology sector. I don't feel like I understand technology very well or particularly good at it. And so I feel um, surprised that I've managed to um, work on a great many projects now that have involved technology and, and websites. I feel very lucky that I've had the opportunity to do that. Um, and I think that one thing that I'm also very passionate about is bringing together really smart people from different sectors. And so being able to bring together people who have the technical chops to build a website, as well as the you know public health expertise, the design expertise, all sorts of different folks from different sectors has been really fun and something that I continue to be excited about. Thank you, Jen. Well, you're in San Francisco. So today, <laughs> it does so make it a lot easier. Absolutely. Technology runs in the, uh, in the tap water, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure does. Let's start, Jen, with the Building Healthy online communities and your activities with the gay dating apps. Mm -hmm. So from my understanding, you've engaged to promote STI testing kits. Tell me a little bit more about how you, you kicked that off. Sure. Well, as I said, you know, we've been doing this work for a number of years. So really actually starting in about 2009, 2010, my co-founder and I, uh, Dan Wolfiler, he and I have been working together on some initial research. Actually, this was pre-app. So during website days, people who are using websites to meet other people uh, for sex and dating to ask the users of those sites, as well as the owners of those sites, as well as public health groups. So basically three different stakeholder groups and basically tried to come up with different ideas for how we could work with the sites to improve sexual health. And so that was really what led to the creation of Building Healthy Online Communities. We formally kicked that off in 2014 and we actually hosted a meeting with, I, I wanna say it was about nine or 10 different websites who all came together. And this was really exciting, mostly because these websites are actually, you know, each other's competitors, but they were all willing to come in the room together to really think about how they could um, address sexual health. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that many of the people who started these sites or apps, they're from the community. They care about the community. These are, you know, this is their community. And they really wanted to do something. They wanted to do something around sexual health, but they weren't from the public health sector. And so they really didn't know what to do. And so that was kind of the big discussion is what are the things that they could do that, you know, we had already, you know, gone to the users of the sites and said, what, what would they want? 
Um, and so that was the discussion around what could they be doing. And at that initial meeting back in 2014, um, at that meeting, we really, one of the things that came up for sure was around HIV and STI testing and how the owners and managers of those sites were really interested and eager to promote it. So that was what was happening back at that point. And then fast forward, I guess it was about two years ago, or really three years ago that I think we conceived of, okay, let's create something. Let's create our own platform for home testing. Um, this was an opportunity to then go back to the apps and say, you know, we, we were going to create this platform and we would really want your support to help promote it. So, you know, there's always a range of responses. So some of the apps are very eager, ready to support, able to do a lot of in-kind messaging or other adding links to their apps. And then you have apps who maybe need a little bit more convincing or need a little bit more information or aren't able to do it on quite as consistent of a basis. But we have engaged many different apps now um, on this topic, and we've gotten a lot of support. Thank you, Jen. And, and a real precursor in terms of promoting sexual health and finding different channels to do that. Mm-hmm. And in terms of take up through those apps, mm-hmm. do, do you get a lot of people who will order a test and are people on the whole comfortable about sharing their status on their profile? Yeah, so that's a great question because what we're talking about is actually several different types of activities and different types of requests to the apps and different ways in which the apps have engaged, right? So one way in which the apps have engaged, as I sort of referenced at the very beginning, is around their features, right? So what information do they include in, say, the profile section that makes it easy for an app user to share information about their STI status, around their HIV status, around their last tested date. So that's one way is through the features. Another way is through the resource section. And not all apps have this, but now, but many do, is, you know, a little bit a place on the app, or in some cases they link out from the app, that that shares information about basic sexual health information. For example, maybe someone is able to put in the feature, I'm negative and on PrEP, but then the app realizes, well, we better make sure users know what PrEP means. So then they have information and that links to the resource section and they can get more information about what is PrEP. And, you know, we see that, especially for young folks, the apps have really become a place that they get information. And we've been able to work with many of the apps to expand those resource sections, to build the resource section, to, to write some sexual health content, to really provide education. And then in addition to that, we can then link out as well to, again, places that they might get tested, whether that's ordering a home test, whether that's finding a clinic near them, other types of resources where they might be able to find PrEP. Etc. So there's many different ways in which that's happened. Your question was really about uptake, right? And so we've been able to look at uptake for, you know, how many folks and, you know, app users are using these sexual health profile features. And we're seeing a lot of uptake around that. That's been really exciting. We're actually working on an evaluation around that project and, and writing a paper on that right now, but we've seen some very substantial uptake. And the folks who aren't using those profile features, many of them didn't know about them. And so they're like, well, if I knew about this, of course I would use it. So so there's there's both a lot of uptake, but also opportunity for more education around it. And then we see uptake from the standpoint of users who are using those resource sections to learn about sexual health and to get information. And then when we work with the apps around promoting HIV and STI testing, we see uptake there as well. And that 
again, sometimes is coming from links in those resource sections or coming from, you know, one time or, or regular messages or ads that they're running. At this point, we're seeing upwards of around 60% or so of our traffic does come from those partnerships with the app. So it's definitely a huge part of the traffic to our site, the Take Me Home site. But then we also work with our local partners to promote that site in other ways as well. It's so important to to take sexual health out of the traditional public health setting into people's day-to-day reality and, and the sites that they engage with, Jen. And it's it's fantastic what you're you're doing. You, you mentioned the Take Me Home program as well and the ability for people to re- order a remote kit from their own home and, and be able to take a test. How how was that set up and how is that uh, progressing? Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's been a really exciting program to be able to help develop and to see the the, the progress in how that's going. You know, we have basically two two models for how that works. The first is using the OraQuick kit. That's a point of care test so that they're really doing the test right at home and getting the result right at home. It is a preliminary test. So they're going to have to get a confirmatory test at a clinic at this point if they're using that particular test. But what it does is it really simplifies the process for a person who's either never tested before or maybe just isn't able to get into the clinic that has really helped get HIV testing into a lot more hands. And so we've been really happy about that. We've created a design for our site to make it as simple as possible and as smooth as possible. And so users can really order that kit in a minute. So that first model really does get the HIV test kit into a lot of hands. And we've been really happy about that. And one of the things that I've been most proud of and most excited about in terms of this project is how many people participated who'd never tested before. We're consistently seeing that about a third of the people who are testing with us have never had an HIV test before. So we're reaching people who we're just not otherwise reaching through sort of more standard or traditional public health measures, even community-based outreach. And, you know, I think our formative work with the dating apps really showed that there was a lot of opportunity there. And so we're, we're really excited that that's what we've been seeing. Um, the second model that we have is the lab-based model, and that enables us to do a wider array of testing as well as confirmatory testing. And that includes HIV testing, STI testing, including you know, three-site chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis. Uh, We also do HCV screening. You know, it's more robust, more comprehensive. Again, we can do the confirmatory HIV testing that way. But of course, it is also more complex. It's more burdensome for all parties, right? So the participant who might be ordering a kit, it takes them a little bit more time. It's still pretty quick, about two to three minutes. Uh, But they do have to create an account and then will, of course, need to sign back in in order to get their their results. And then the, you know, they receive a kit in the mail, they collect their specimens, mail that kit back in, the lab processes it, and then they're prompted to sign back in to get their results. So there's, you know, a number of additional steps, but again, that does allow them a lot more options in terms of their sexual health. So I have to say I'm pleased that we're able to offer both of those options. And um, in the local health departments that are that are offering both of those, we're really seeing uptake in in you know on both sides. Um, some folks are you know choosing to to order the um, at home test, and others are choosing to do the specimen collection, the lab based testing, in which they can do the full comprehensive STI testing. 
So how do people engage with Take Me Home, Jen? Is it through their local public health authority or is it direct with yourselves? No, it's directly with us. The public health comes in in a couple different ways. The first part is that they are the payers. So they purchase the service from us and our, you know, the, a, a partner organization that we work with that has been supporting on some of the administrative side of things. That organization is called NASDAD. So the health departments work with NASDAD and, and Building Healthy Online Communities to, to set up the payment. And that creates eligibility for the folks in their communities. And they get to determine the zip codes. So that sometimes is, you know, an entire county, an entire state, a city. There's many different ways that they could choose to set that up. And then we also work with them on, on eligibility um, in terms of, you know, the time since the last test or some other eligibility criteria that they can help set based on their particular needs. And then the health department also comes in they create a list of local resources so anyone who tests with us can see the resources in their area. When they sign in, they put in their zip code, and then as they go through the process, they're directed to their local resources. And then finally, if there's any kind of follow-up, and that can happen in a couple of different ways. One is can be through surveillance case matching, where, which helps the health department know whether folks that they supported that, that we sent the test kits out to, then did come back through the system as um, identified as HIV positive. And they also do, on the STI side, of course, they also do follow up in regards to linking folks to treatment. So that's the way in which the, the local health departments generally are participating. But the Take Me Home program includes as many of these logistics as possible. So we have a third party partner that does the lab processing, that ships out the kits, um, that you know handles all of those logistics, so that the health departments don't need to be you know getting into fulfillment, getting into shipping, you know hiring anyone to really do any of this. Um, so we take care of all of that for them. That's very clear, Jen. So you do all of the process, and they focus right. on delivering what they're good at, which is the the public health. Mm-hmm. And and how many jurisdictions are you working with? I think we're up to twenty three now. And we're in about 14 or 15 different states. So some of these are the whole state, you know, the, the state health department has signed up their whole state. In some cases, it might be a county or a series of different counties um, or a city. Uh, but we now have, I think, 23 different jurisdictions that are participating with us right now. Wow, that's fantastic. And is that the biggest remote testing program in the U.S. then? Well, I believe so. What I will say is we actually also worked recently on a national scale up of the Take Me Home program. And that was in partnership with a a number of different organizations and funded by CDC. And we did a demonstration project to give out 100,000 test kits. This is the at home kit. And we were able to complete that in about eight months. So that was, as I noted, a demonstration project. I think there's an effort to try to find more ongoing funding to be able to have that kind of support at the national level on a consistent basis. Uh, but that was a sort of test run to see what, what that would look like. You mentioned funding. Is the program funded by the jurisdictions that, that deliver it? Or do you have any other funding sources as well? Funding's always complicated, right? And funding's always the, the hitch, one of the things that I think is a, is one of the biggest challenges, and to some extent opportunities, but one of the biggest challenges in the U.S. is we have a very fractured local public health system. So 
most of the funding flows through states and counties. And as a result, that was one of the reasons that we initially created our model that way, is that each state or county or local health department could choose to opt in and participate. But it does create some challenges because there's different processes, there's different laws, there's different efforts to try to get, you know, contracts in place and budgeting. And that has created, you know, some inefficiencies and some challenges to try to, you know, sign these groups up one by one. Uh, we're definitely excited about possibility of having a more seamless kind of national program. In terms of other sources of funding, we have received some, you know, private funding through pharmaceutical companies and other groups that support the work of building healthy online communities. And we use some of that funding to do the initial build out of the platform. The payment for the services, as I noted, is definitely through the state and local health departments. The initial building of the platform was money that we put forward through some of the funding that we'd received. Understood, Jen. Thank you. No, I, I've been trying to get my head around the US healthcare system for the last <laughs> 15 years and failed miserably. And, and what sort of return rates and engagement rates do you get with the Take Me Home program? Well, so this is a, a great question because the vast majority of users up to this point, and we've sent out about 9,000 plus kits through the regular program, they're not going to return a kit because the nature of that process is that they'll test at home. We do know from our follow-up surveys that approximately 80% of folks have taken it, but that's one of the interesting challenges of this um, part of the program is that we don't always know what has happened. We can arm those participants with a lot of resources. In fact, we have many layers of resources for those participants, but it's really up to them and it's their being empowered to kind of make their choices as to how much information they share, when and how they follow up in regards to confirmatory testing and, and getting then supported into follow-up care. In regards to the lab-based testing, um, we are in, I would call that preliminary data. And in fact, that's, a, that's our next paper we're going to work on writing. Um, but what we're seeing is in the range of a little bit under, just shy of 60% returns on those kits that are sent out. One of the systems that we've set up is that when health departments pay for those kits, they're only paying for whatever is used, right? So if a user orders a full STI kit and doesn't return it, you know, they're not going to pay for any of that lab processing. They only then pay for the kit and the shipping to help kind of keep costs reasonable. Also, if, you know, we message to users and participants, right, they only really need to send in the parts of the test kit that are relevant for them. So basically we say, if you use it, swab it, right? So they may, you know, not send in all of the different components of the test kit. And then that is what, you know, again, they'll be only charged for what the lab process is. So that's one way for us to help um, manage costs. But ultimately costs are always going to be a challenge and definitely something that we spend a lot of time thinking about for sure. Thanks, Jen. We've had remote testing in the UK for around 15 years. And, you know, I always think of the US as being far ahead of us in most aspects in technology, in new trends, etc. But remote testing seems to be quite a bit behind in terms of maturity and, and you and your organization really seem to be driving it forward. Why do you think remote testing has taken so long to pick up in the, in the US compared to other countries? 
That is a great question. And you're absolutely right, Nick. I've been taking notes from you, trying to learn from your colleagues and and really just as much as I can learn from our international partners and colleagues who are way ahead of us. Why is it? Oh, it's there's so many different factors. It's hard to even answer that question. But I mean, let's see. I think for one, it starts with the challenges around getting the new technologies approved through the FDA process. That process is notoriously challenging and slow. Right now, we really do only have one approved point of care at home test kit. That is limiting for many reasons. I think there's opportunities for improved technologies as well as reduced costs in that area. It's challenging for health departments who are strapped for cash to pay rates that might be higher than they really can afford. So I think there's challenges around the pipeline of what's been approved. There's challenges around costs and the fact that if there's only one approved test, there's not a lot of competition there. You know, there's challenges in sort of the bureaucracy of, I think, even getting comfortable with what does remote healthcare look like? What does home testing look like? I will say, I think one of the small silver linings of the huge tragedy of COVID-19 pandemic has been reopening a lot of these questions and recognizing that when we need to innovate, we can innovate. And I think that has um, opened some eyes. I think it has cut through some red tape. And I think that we're sort of, as a country, learning really how we can do this. I think that other challenges are just, as I said, the fractured healthcare system has created a situation where, you know, um, there's challenges with electronic health records, um, there's challenges with what policies allow or don't allow uh, providers to provide remote services. And those are, you know, a patchwork of different policies that are different in different states. And so there's so many different ways in which um, not having national health care, I think, in and of itself has created a lot of barriers. And so I'm definitely eager for a time that we have you know, easier access to healthcare, easier access to testing, easier access to home testing, all of it. And do you think the genie's out of the bottle, Jen? Do you think there's going to be a surge now in home testing for, for STIs or are there still some barriers to overcome? Great question. I mean, certainly I think we've seen so much progress and momentum in the last two years. I think um, what's been exciting to me is how much health departments have learned and have been, how eager they've been to try new things, to participate in Take Me Home and other programs. And we've seen, you know, some of these larger bodies like CDC and and HHS and and NIH all taking note and either directly supporting or participating or kind of learning and seeing how how is this going to be integrated moving forward. Um, So I think there's a huge amount of momentum there and I feel very, very hopeful. That said, you know, there continue to be a number of additional challenges. We don't have as many approved tests. And, you know, I've heard in some places where they had kind of created emergency orders or allowed for remote testing that some of that is actually already being rolled back. And that's, that's so sad to hear and dis- disappointing in my mind because I think a lot of people gained access when they didn't have it. And I think there's really no reason not to continue that and expand upon it. And yes, you know, 
there are ways that we're going to need to learn to regulate it and to learn from from what we have seen over these last couple of years. But I think that's the right direction to be moving in. And so I hope that we don't see too much of that, those emergency orders that did allow for increased access rolling back. And Building Healthy Online Communities is an organization, Jen. Just tell me a little bit more. How, how many people do you have working for you? What infrastructure do you cover? We're tiny. <laughs> um, so, And we have a very unusual structure. So formally, we are not a legal entity. And that's because we're a consortium of different organizations. And so we've always been based at a nonprofit. So we're currently based at Springboard Health Lab, where we've we've actually just moved to that to this new home. And we're really excited about that. And one of the things that's important to me is to be small, nimble, and, and to streamline things wherever we can. And so we don't have a lot of overhead costs. We're actually getting some in-kind support from some colleagues of ours that are, are working to support um, Springboard Health Lab. So that's really important to me. And as a result, we have been able to stay very small. So we have currently two full-time staff and then a number of contractors who work on our various different technical components of our work, whether that's website design and development, some of the back-end part of the work. And then we, we, we work with our partners as needed of course, always to get input on the, proce- the, the projects and processes, but also in, in some cases they take a bigger role. So in this case, for example, NASDAD, one of our partners has taken a very substantial role in the Take Me Home program and is really working to support really all the administrative functions of that. Um, we work very closely also with research partners. Um, in particular, we've been working closely with Emory University and many of the different researchers there on a number of different projects, including Take Me Home. They've done, you know, some of the seminal work in home testing and so have worked very closely with us in helping us figure out how do we take those lessons learned from some of the work that they've done and use that to, to get this in the field, to scale it up. But in terms of building healthy online communities, we, you know, we do have other projects and we work with Emory on an annual survey that they do. We work with them to add some questions specific to dating app users that enables us to, to gather some formative research, really to think about projects that are coming forward. We have a project called Nice AF, which is really thinking about how app users treat each other on the apps and what the apps role can be. So again, like what are the features on apps that make it easier or harder for app users to share information, to treat each other with respect, if something does go wrong, to be able to report that information to the app. So that's a huge project that we've worked on. We have created a resource called Tell Your Partner. That's a partner notification website. And that resource allows users to be able to to let someone know that they might have been exposed to a specific STI and to encourage them to go get a test. Um, So we have a a number of other projects that we work on, as well as, again, the the sort of direct consultation with apps around those features and the sexual health content on their sites. Thank you, Jen. And um, amazed at the work and the drive that you're doing with such a, a small team. I'd sort of imagine that you had 20 or 30 people working for you, seeing the social media and the exposure that you're getting. So it's amazing what you can do with a bit of focus and, and drive. You mentioned Springboard Health Lab, so it's probably a nice moment to, to pick that up. And can you tell me a bit more about that and, and how, how that works and links in with your other activities? 
Sure. Well, as I noted, we are brand new. Formally, I took on this role in early September, so it's officially been about two months. Um, We just started the organization. We officially exist as an organization, but we are still going through some of the processes to get our tax exempt status, et cetera. So we're really, really brand new. And what Springboard Health Lab is doing, so first off, it's the new home for BHOC. So we've been able to bring all of the BHOC operations under the Springboard Health Lab umbrella. And then what we will be doing is taking ideas and helping to support and build and grow them out. So we've got a a project right now with San Francisco Department of Health that is focused on workforce development for sexual health and drug user workers. So folks who are working in the substance use and sexual health fields and making sure that there's a robust workforce development process there. And then we're also exploring some other ideas. Another project that's sort of not finalized, but kind of coming down the pipeline is a project that's really looking at long COVID and thinking about some of the learnings from the HIV world and how they apply to studying treating, supporting people who are experiencing symptoms and long COVID exposures, et cetera, like the, the, that are still suffering really from their exposure to COVID. Very interesting, Jen. And do you actually have time to eat or do anything else with the free <laughs> roles that you're, you're doing? Remarkably, I feel like eating is so important. So yes, I definitely prioritize eating. <laughs> I prioritize <laughs> sleeping. You know, I, I have been very lucky to be able to partner with a lot of folks who are just so good at what they do. So we are able to do a lot with a very small team and that's been exciting, but we're also growing and we will have some additional folks coming on board, I think in the next year. Great. So in terms, just going back to, to building healthy online communities and the work with the gay dating websites as well as the take me home program what are the future developments what what's your pipeline like in terms of what you're planning to do over the coming months and and years i have a couple answers to that i think in regards to building healthy online communities i think there's a lot of a lot of huge opportunities there which i'm very excited about one that i'm very eager to um, deepen is some of our work with our international colleagues we have had many conversations meetings projects with international colleagues over the years but it's really been very domestically focused so we're looking at what would that look like to kind of have a more consistent presence and partnership with with some of our international colleagues so we're excited about that we also want to make sure that we have regular communication with our research partners folks who are doing research in this area who haven't been connected with BHOC, we'd really love to have an opportunity to just talk about what does that research agenda look like. That's something that we're excited about as well. We've done some work in the past and we're going to continue to do some work in the area of advertising on the apps and and what that process looks like. Many folks in, in the public health sector are buying ads on the apps, but not surprisingly as a sector, we don't know that much about the advertising world. We don't know that much about buying digital ads. What should the benchmarks be? What should the metrics be? Um, what should we expect in terms of reporting? Um, what are some you know best practices around that? So we've really been thinking about that a lot and working closely with some of our partners at CDC and their communications branch um, to be thinking about some of those questions as well. And then in the take me home side of things, I mean, there's, there's a lot of excitement there too. I think we hope to see a national scale up. As I mentioned, we did this pilot project and we found a lot of success with that and are hoping to 
really build that out to be a more permanent project. We're thinking a lot about um, how we can improve upon linkage to prep. We've seen from our research that we've done that only a small percentage of folks who are currently ordering from Take Me Home are on prep, um, and nearly all of them are potential prep candidates. So we think there's a huge opportunity there and are working with um, some research partners, but also some of our participating health department partners to be thinking more about linkage to PrEP and follow-up HIV care. And then another area that we're thinking about as well is around additional services. So what would it look like? And these, these are definitely you know questions right now, but what would it look like to add condom delivery? What would it look like to add you know, naloxone delivery or other other services that can sort of tie into the work that we're already doing. So lots of opportunities there to really be thinking about this platform that we have that can continue to be tailored, expanded upon. Um, and just, you know, I think we've built um, some strong credibility in the public health sector as well as in the community that folks have seen, you know, maybe they were feeling hesitant, they weren't sure where to get a test, they weren't sure what the process would be like, um, or they didn't have the time. One of the biggest challenges I think that we see also just has to do with the, the hours of operation for many of these clinics. So being able to access it kind of at any time of day, I think does create uh, increased access um, for a lot of folks. So, so there's many different ways, I think, in which we can continue to refine and iterate on Take Me Home. I see it as a process, I feel like we have gotten some amazing feedback from users of the site. We've gotten amazing feedback from our health department partners. And really, you know, through every step of the way, we're just thinking about, okay, how do we take this feedback and continue to iterate and improve upon this product so that it works, you know, the best and the smoothest. And that's something I'm really excited about. Thanks, Jen. Well, if you need international partners in Europe, you, you know where to come. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned PrEP. Just briefly, what is the situation around PrEP in the US? Is it available nationwide or is it on a state-by-state basis? Yes, it is widely available. However, not surprisingly, we do still have health disparities and disparities and kind of uptake around PrEP. So that goes back to, you know, is everyone aware of it? Does everyone have access to it? Does everyone have access to healthcare? Um, you know, and, and that's just not something that unfortunately in the U.S. we have equity around. And so as a result, um, I think there's really important efforts to continue to get the word out and then to really think about what does access look like. I think, you know, the most recent data I've seen, actually awareness is pretty high, certainly among MSM. I would say other key populations like folks who are injecting, the awareness is, is not as high. Um, among MSM, we see pretty high awareness, but not equitable uptake or access. And I think that is where there's a lot of opportunity online, you know, online services. Again, I think the home testing creates a, a first window there um, to reach people that we haven't successfully reached, to create access kind of at all times of day, to create um, access in a way that's discreet and that allows folks to go through that process without experience any, any judgment. And I think that opens the door to prep, but this is one of many tools. I think there's many tools that could be used um, and need to be used to increase awareness and increase access. Final question, Jen. If somebody was entering the sexual health field today, mm -hmm. what advice, what piece of advice would you give them? 
I think there's a couple of things that I that come to mind. The first is it's always great to volunteer. I think it really helps give a sense of what is it like to be doing a certain type of job. We, we just don't get that from school. I think we learn some important things in school, but what we don't get is what is it actually like to work in this field. So I think volunteering can really help answer questions of, what type of setting am I interested in working in, whether it's, you know, a government setting, a nonprofit setting, even a private, you know, private sector or policy. I think those are the, the kinds of things that's hard to get a, a handle on unless you're really in the field. And the second piece of advice I would say is find great mentors. I feel so, so lucky that I have had incredible mentors over the years. And they're people who I very much am still in you know, in touch with that I communicate with regularly and, you know, just get together, have some coffee and and pick their brains and have conversation and learn what I can learn. And I feel so lucky that I've had amazing mentors um, throughout my career and continue to have amazing mentors. I think that's great advice, Jen. And as a father of, of two boys, the volunteering and, and finding mentors is, is something that I would not hesitate to, to recommend. Thank you so much for the podcast today. It's been fantastic and and really do appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you very much for listening to the Sticks and Stones podcast today. So, wow, that was quite an episode and hope you enjoyed the conversation with Jen. She's certainly a busy lady and is advancing the, the sexual health agenda in the US. So for our next episode, we're staying in the US and bringing you Michonne Moore from Denver Public Health, who'll bring a great insight of what it's like working in a public sexual health clinic. So please tune in for that episode. And if you haven't already, please do subscribe. And if you do have a moment to rate and review us, it really does help other people to find this content. And remember, you can also follow us on Twitter under Sticks STI. That's Sticks, S-T-I-I-X, S-T-I. Goodbye, and thanks for listening. Sticks and Stones is produced by Birdline Media.